Welcome to Reviving Faith and Rekindling Charity in Light of Fratelli Tutti. I'm Father Frank Donio, Director of the Catholic Apostolate Center. I'm coming to you from Washington, D.C., from the studio of the Catholic Apostolate Center. It's a great blessing to have you as we spend time reflecting over this next hour on the new encyclical of our Holy Father, Pope Francis. But before we do anything, let's begin with prayer, a prayer composed by Pope Francis for the encyclical Fratelli Tutti. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O God, Trinity of love, from the profound communion of your divine life, pour out upon us a torrent of fraternal love. Grant us the love reflected in the actions of Jesus, in his family of Nazareth, and in the early Christian community. Grant that we Christians may live the gospel, discovering Christ in each human being, recognizing him crucified in the sufferings of the abandoned and forgotten of our world, and risen in each brother or sister who makes a new start. Come, Holy Spirit, show us your beauty, reflected in all the peoples of the earth, so that we may discover anew that all are important and all are necessary, different faces of the one humanity that God so loves. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The name of the encyclical Fratelli Tutti comes from Pope, Fra uh, Pope Francis via St. Francis, and in fact was even signed in Assisi on the day before the Feast of St. Francis on October 3rd, 2020. And it was a, an opportunity, this encyclical on, uh, on fraternity and social friendship, is an opportunity for the Holy Father to reflect on where we are in our world and where we could be. It's part of, and it's important to, to begin this with some context, it's part of an ongoing tradition within, uh, among the, the popes of the last over 100 years to give a, an indication of where we are and where we could be as human beings, in light of our relationship, most especially with God. And that stretches back in particular to Pope Leo XIII in 1891 with the encyclical Rerum Novarum, in which he particularly focused on the situation of workers. And this began a, a, a lengthy, over century long now, uh, set of encyclicals that are called the social encyclicals. And various popes through uh, the last century and really almost 130 years next year to give an opportunity to reflect in this way over what are the particular situations of the moment. But then some of them were anniversaries of that. And to, again, to speak of to that particular moment, for example, uh, Pope Pius XI he wrote uh, Quadragissimo Anno in 1931 on the 40th anniversary of Rerum Novarum, again, naming the things, some of the issues of the 1930s. Uh, 
Or, for example, Mater et Magister by St. John the Twenty-Third which uh, was in 1961, the 60th anniversary of Rerum Novarum. Or Pachum in Terrace, in the midst of the, the Cold War and the nuclear arms race, again, St. John the Twenty Third in 1963. Or on the development of peoples, Popolorum Progressio, from St. Paul VI in 1967. Solicitudo Re Socialis of St. John Paul II, on the 90th anniversary of Rerum Novarum in 1981, and then on the 100th anniversary of Rerum Novarum in 1991, Santissimus Anus. Again, looking at what are the situations, or Evangelium Vitae, the Gospel of Life by St. Saint, Saint John Paul II in 1995, Deus Caritas Est uh, by Pope Benedict XVI in 2005, Caritas in Veritate, again by Pope Benedict the Sixteenth in 2009, and Laudato Si in 2015 on the care of our common home. Again, using Pope Francis using uh, a the beginning of of a cant of the canticle uh, of the son that of Saint Francis, and now Fratelli Tutti. But there's another piece of this that I think is important for us to name. Pope Francis's father, in 1929, immigrated from Italy to Argentina, eventually to South America, and then eventually to Argentina, to Buenos Aires. He did that because of the rise of fascism in Italy, in 19, and which took over Italy in 1922. In that same period in the 19, uh, 1930s, just after uh, Mr. Bergoglio uh, emigrated, and then in 1937, uh, 1936, Pope Francis was born. In, in that period, uh, up to 1937, Pope Pius, the, not, uh, Pope Pius XI, excuse me, wrote three different encyclical letters in the languages of particular people particular nations and areas that were having difficulty. He wrote one in Italian in 1931 called Non Abbiamo Bisogno, which is uh, which was about uh, toward Catholic action and the Catholic action groups and, and their challenge with Italian fascism. Mit Brennender Sorge in 1937, and this was focused on Germany and the rise of Nazism. And then Nos es muy conocida in 1937 about the religious situation and the lack of religious freedom and the suppression of the church in so many different ways and even the killing of many religious leaders, Catholic leaders in Mexico. They were naming these particular issues that were going on. So, so not only in the general sense, which we see with the Latin titles, but these were very specific. And so Pope Francis is born in 1936 and comes into a church in this conflict, uh, in, in this context, and then the conflict in the world and the rise of these regimes, as well as then the rise of communism. So when we look at this, what does this, uh, does this encyclical propose? Well, it's a social encyclical, Fratelli Tutti, dedicated to fraternity and social friendship. 
And it really looks at the universal dimension of love, of fraternal love. And he uses that term as a, as a collective. And I know that there are, in English, there are some, uh, some concerns about that. But I, I think if we, we look at this, he, of course, this is the larger context of human beings reflective of God's love. And it's really a, a, new, a new vision of fraternity and social friendship. And then it continues to give us an opportunity to dream as a single human family, and really as fellow travelers, sharing the same flesh. We are, we are one. We may have difference, but we are one as human beings. Again, this title, Fratelli Tutti, comes from what are called the admonitions of uh, St. Francis, and really it's an expression of, uh, of the, the way of St. Francis of Assisi. Of course, the Franciscans hold as, and Franciscan spirituality holds as a great value the fraternal life. It is the center of their communal life. And this uh, is, the, the saint used this expression, uh, St. Francis, as a, a proposed way of life, marked by the flavor of the gospel. St. Francis invites all men and women to love that transcends, and so does Pope Francis. So we see, you know, Pope Francis now in the midst of, of a pandemic offering these, uh, these thoughts. And as he signed the encyclical, you know, he says that it's my desire that, uh, as he says in Fratelli Tutti, it's my desire that in this our time, to acknowledge, uh, by acknowledging the dignity of each human person, we can contribute to the rebirth of a universal aspiration to fraternity, fraternity between all men and women. And where he's signing that is, uh, is at the altar that's right near the uh, tomb of St. Francis in Assisi. And as I mentioned, this was on October 3rd. And it was released on October 4th on, uh, on the feast of St. Francis. The context uh, also of COVID-19, he was writing, he was in the middle of writing this encyclical letter when, uh, when the pandemic began. And Pope Francis uh, does talk about a bit the pandemic within this, and he sees it as actually a way in which now here we have this global crisis and we realize that there, there is, it cuts across all of humanity, that there's nobody who can say, well, I've not been affected by this in any way, shape, or form but that we've all been affected by it. All of humanity has been affected by it in one way or another on all continents, except for, I think, Antarctica. So we've, we have this reality that, that is happening in our world right now, and the situation is, is very difficult. But what he's also looking at are all of the other things that are occurring within the world as well kind of a closing in, he sees a, a greater closing in, uh, the unity and the union that, that was being developed in, for example, in Europe or even in Latin America, that falling apart, uh, nations turning in on themselves and a, a global economic uh, situation that, that is difficult. But even within the church, uh, divisions and sometimes deep divisions uh, and a polarizations. And how do we work through that? What is it that we do? And, and where is God? Where do we see God acting and calling us to more? In chapter one 
uh, he, he breaks it down into eight chapters. So in chapter one, he's looking at these dark clouds over a closed world, it's called. And really, you know, he's not, he's giving kind of an analysis of, of the situation, but he doesn't want, he says it's not exhaustive, that he can't give an exhaustive analysis. It's just simply, I'm setting the stage for what do we do? As people of faith, how do we respond to this? So he, he's trying to set the stage, and I think that's important to understand as to why this begins rather than rather than it be, beginning from a uh, purely a faith context. He's he's naming all that's there, and then he enters into the scriptures and he enters into our uh, spiritual and theological tradition as church, as well as our lived tradition as church, and how we can respond and how all religious communities could respond and work together for a better world. He sees despair and discouragement that are widespread in society, and that this polarization really impedes dialogue and any living together in a a way that, that builds up rather than tears down. And that often people are considered um, easily sacrificed and discarded uh, wherever they may find themselves, from from the womb to the tomb. They're just easily sacrificed and discarded. And he sees an inequality of rights and various forms of slavery, new forms of slavery that have existed, slavery to various ways of, of functioning, and a moral deterioration and a weakening of spiritual values. So it's a it's a pretty it comes across as as in, in some ways a pretty dire situation. But he still sees hope, and I think that the, even in these dark clouds, he still sees hope that despite them, which which may not be ignored, he, he says, I would like to follow. Uh, like the following pages of the encyclical to take up and discuss many new paths of hope. And he sees God sowing seeds of goodness, goodness in the human heart, and that this goodness builds love and justice and solidarity with one another. And that solidarity word is something that was very uh, near and dear and and talked about in Solicitudo Re Socialis by uh, St. John Paul II. And so it's it's an important uh, a connection as well. But he sees hope, and hope in the risen one, particularly as as Christians, hope in the risen one in Christ. That our our hope is not just uh, put in ourselves on ourselves, but instead that that it is a reflection of the hope and is uh, an expression of the hope that comes from Christ. And so in chapter two, he, he enters into this, this scriptural and, and theological reflection on the Good Samaritan, the parable of the Good Samaritan, and that the Good Samaritan came to care for the person on the road. And he says the parable is clear and straightforward, yet it also invokes the interior struggle that each of us experiences as we gradually come to know ourselves through our relationships with our brothers and sisters. He looks at the assailants, the people who, uh, the robbers who came and, and left the guy on the road. And, and he also looks at those who passed on the other side, the priest, the Levite. 
And then the Samaritan, which would have been surprising to the ears of Jesus' listeners of the day, because Samaritans were not seen as as sharing in the faith, uh, sharing in in life as faithful uh, Jews. They they were they were somehow uh, separated. They were somehow heretics. They were somehow even seen almost as pagans. And yet it's the Good Samaritan, not the priest, not the Levite, but the Good Samaritan who was the one. And that would have been shocking to the ears of Jesus' listeners. And then the victim, the wounded and abandoned victim. What was happening in this victim? Sometimes we don't focus on that. We focus on the people who went on to the other side or the Good Samaritan. But what about this person who was, who was victimized and left abandoned? And so sometimes Pope Francis then focuses on, you know, we can have these justifications of indifference. You know, we can we can decide to be like the the Levite and the and the priest. And as Jesus says, you know, we they cross to the other side. They didn't want to deal with it. How often does that happen when we might encounter a homeless person on the street? How often do we or we see somebody begging on the side of the road and, and we, we avert our eyes? We don't want to we don't want to look at that. And we're in our car and we just kind of act like we didn't see it when we when we absolutely did. And then also social exclusion. What are the ways in which society excludes others for a variety of reasons? And then also this, this social and political apathy. But I, I think, you know, it, we see also then, then uh, an activism that's occurring. But in sometimes that, that can be one, uh, ones that just create greater polarization rather than dialogue. And he'll get into dialogue a, a little later. And then our call, you know, to this, this love that breaks through all of this. And what is it? It's the love, the love of Christ. It's God's love. You know, God is universal love. And so therefore, we're called to love in a similar way. And it'll pick up that theme a little later. And then a call for us to imitate the Good Samaritan, to be like the Good Samaritan, to do as the Good Samaritan, to care for those who are most in need. And really, he uses, a, he then connects this with uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25. And as on the day of this, uh, of this webinar, you know, we're right before uh, the solemnity of our Lord Jesus Christ, King of the universe. And the Gospel is from Matthew 25. And the, the end of Matthew, chapter 25, talks about the, the last judgment. You know, and what did you do for me? How did you care for those who were hungry and thirsty and naked and imprisoned, the stranger and alone, and all of these in prison? What did you do? And these are the ones who, who you did it for me, if you did it. If you didn't, you didn't do it for me. And this is what we will be judged on. Pope Francis connects those two, the Good Samaritan and this Matthew and that, that piece of Matthew 25 to, for us to really be a, a wake up call, an examination of conscience. Where are we? And what are we doing? And so the world then, this, this world where we're called then to universal fraternity, this love that impels us 
This is really from uh, St. Paul in his uh, second letter to the Corinthians, uh, ver, uh, chapter 5, verse 14, which is which was a guiding uh, principle for uh, uh, St. Vincent Pallotti and, and for the Catholic Apostolate Center, therefore, because we're built out of the spirituality of St. Vincent Pallotti, that he would talk about reviving faith and rekindling charity, and that the love of Christ or the charity of Christ impels us, moves us, or urges us on to outwardness, to universal communion with one another. No one can mature or find fulfillment by withdrawing from others. We withdraw into this sense of isolation that we can just stand on our own. But I think as this pandemic is showing us, it's we might be isolated, but we can't stand on our own. Universal fraternity is really what Pope Francis is calling for, a fulfillment uh, in the gift of self to others that this is how we will be truly fulfilled in life, not by the things we acquire, not by the relationships we think we have, but instead giving ourselves, giving what we've been gifted with in life to others. And therefore, uh, to have a greater ability to accept others and to reach out. And that this transcends borders, national borders, that there needs to be Friend, social friendship, and also other borders. They might be economic borders. They might be educational borders. Whatever those borders might be, how do we transcend them and recognize that we are called to community? We're called to breaking the structures that exclude and, and, the, and, and that also that crush the vulnerable, wherever that vulnerability might be among human beings, and a greater solidarity. Is this all very idealistic? Yeah, but faith is. Our teachings are. It's, it's what we're called to strive for and to move toward. Now, I'm not going to be able to get into in, a, in an hour-long presentation, uh, which most of the, the back portion will be some time for question and answers, to get into all the particulars of an encyclical letter that is fairly long. But I, I will continue to take us through a bit of these chapters. So let's look at chapter four, for example. So we have a, a heart that's open to the whole world. He says, let us realize that as our minds and hearts narrow, the less capable we become of understanding the world around us. That if we narrow our view, we really don't then understand what is going on around us. So therefore, you know, he, he talks about gratuitousness, you know, doing good for the sake of doing good, not because, well, what can I get from this? What, what can I, what, what's my personal gain? What's the quid pro quo? So it's welcoming all without looking for, for benefit. And that's, that can be a challenge, a very big challenge in a variety of ways. And instead, we're called to rise to that challenge in a way that might be more, uh, might, might be difficult for us. When we look, and, and this is, uh, I think, where some of the publicity of, of this in, uh, encyclical is coming from when he's, when he's talking about a, a better kind of politics. This is the Holy Father uh, speaking in 2015 to uh, the United Nations General Assembly. And he does mention the General Assembly in this 
uh, in, in chapter five mentions really the United Nations and the way in which we can needs to be redone. He says there, there needs to be a redoing of this in a way that we can be in greater solidarity uh, with one another as nations. And I think we see some of this working together as nations in some, in a number of instances as a result of the pandemic, a sharing of information, a way in which we can, we can function. We also see then a closing in that, that occurs in, in, in some places. And he talks about social love. And he says, social love makes it possible to advance toward a civilization of love. This is something that was, again, St. John Paul II. He's echoing St. John Paul II in, in this. A civilization of love. And, and really, this social love is um, from the first encyclical letter of St. John Paul II, um, Redemptor Hominis in uh, 1979. And, and so that's where he's getting the term from social love. It's really from St. John Paul II. And all of us are then called to this. And he says, charity with its impulse to universality is capable of building a new world. So when we talk about as Catholic Apostolate Center, which is from St. Vincent Pallotti, reviving, uh, rekindling charity, that this, this charity, it's, which is, is really willing the good of the other as St. Thomas Aquinas would say. And so charity, as he says, you know, it, it's, it's universal because it's, it's not just simply meant to be focused on one person or this person or that person, but in, in general and, and to see everyone uh, is created in the image and likeness of God. And so it is capable of building a new world if we're doing it together. So when he talks about a better kind of politics, he means the promotion of which what is uh, certainly a bedrock of, of Catholic social doctrine, the common good. That what we're, we're not thinking about simply my personal good or your personal good, but the common good. What is, what is good for all? And, uh, and that can be deduced by human reason as well in the light of faith. And so, you know, when we when we see this, and this is uh, Pope Francis addressing uh, the United States Congress in, in 2015, he, sa he says in, in Fratelli Tutti number 187, this charity, which is the spiritual heart of politics, is always a preferential love shown to those in greatest need. It undergirds everything we do on their behalf, those in greatest need. Who are the ones who are most in need? And so, therefore, every human being is sacred from the womb to the tomb and deserves our affection and respect. And that's sometimes a, a real challenge when we, when uh, people try to parse this in a variety of ways. And there's no parsing of it. Every, everyone is sacred. Every human, everyone has human dignity. So as we move to, to, uh, to chapter six there, he talks about dialogue and, and friendship in society and, and a culture, uh, what he calls a culture of encounter. And now this encounter, which is, uh, which is a part of connected with the magisterium of, of Pope Benedict the 16th, because he talks about the encounter with Christ. And so how does that then translate also into then a movement into a culture of encounter? So we have the encounters is love of God, love of neighbor, and very basic. So the encounter with Christ, love of God, the encounter 
with neighbor. But remember, again, what we were, to, what Jesus said in, Ma- in the parable of the last judgment in Matthew 25, if you do this for the least, you do it for me. And how do we see also the image and likeness of God in our neighbor? And how do we see them also as temples of the Holy Spirit? And therefore, they're, they're the dignity that each person has. And so there's, there's a need for then, he says, dialogue. And, and this is the way he sees this is the approach that we have to other people. Our speaking, particularly our listening. Do we listen? Something that seems to be more and more lost in human society. Lots of talking past and not a lot of listening. Looking at, coming to know and understand one another. Finding common ground. Are those impossible things now? He believes not. And so therefore, you know, there is truth, but we also can, can find hopefully in our dialogue consensus and come to this truth. You know, he says in a pluralistic society, dialogue is the best way to realize what's, what ought always to be affirmed and respected apart from any ephemeral consensus. His, the danger about sometimes, he says, consensus is that there's a, a, a situation where somebody decides or a group, a majority, decides that which is true, rather than it, it coming from uh, from certain fundamental truths that can be deduced by human reason. This is very basic Catholic moral teaching, and that, that using human reason, we can come to these fundamental truths about Uh, about humanity. Now, some will disagree with us and will say, no, there's your truth and my truth and this other person's truth and dialogue and consensus. We we might be able to, we'll we'll come to whatever the majority and the majority rules, and that's easy way then to crush those who are are not in the majority in whatever way that that's used. And so he calls for a recovery of kindness is his kindness frees us from the cruelty that at times infects human relationships, from the anxiety that prevents us from thinking of others, from the frantic flurry of activity that forgets that others also have a right to be happy. Now, this cruelty, anxiety, and frantic flurry are so much a part of, of life, especially in the United States, but isn't it interesting, you know, as a result of the pandemic, that so many things had to had to change. And in some instances, there's been less of these things. In some instances, there's more, sad to say. And particularly when when people disagree about uh, about race and 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 how to handle. Uh, the issues of, of of racial justice. How do how do we go about our uh, our our life uh, situation in society? And and even in some ways, what do we do with this pandemic? And how do we we deal with it? And I'm focusing more on the United States, but it's it's true uh, in various parts of the world also. And so there's this renewal, a recovery of kindness, and then paths of renewed encounter. So it doesn't mean making society blandly uniform. See, this is the difference. It's not we're talking about uniformity. There's a unity in diversity. 
that there is this diversity. And he, in other places, he's talked about this diversity being drawn together by the Holy Spirit. And getting people to work together side by side to per, and pursuing goals that benefit everyone. So there's therefore, the, for true reconciliation and true forgiveness, you need to have dialogue. That mutual hatred needs to be let go, which means then peace within. Honest discussion about whatever the issues are. Forgiving, but then there's also not forgetting. And this is a, interesting, you know, sometimes we'll, we'll talk about uh, forgive and forget. No, he's saying, no, don't, don't forget. Because when we forget at times, it could cause us to, to forget the vulnerable, to forget how people were unjustly treated. And we have to start all over again when that injustice continues. But also no to vengeance. He does talk about war and, and human life uh, and in, in a way that I think at times uh, can be challenging for some people. You know, human life, that's a, he, he lists a whole set of issues from, from the unborn to how people die and, and the regard that we need to have for human life, uh, including talking about the, the death penalty and, uh, and where uh, and a call, you know, for no war, never war again, which is something that St. John Paul II uh, certainly talked about. And so what, is it, what does he see then in chapter 8? That the religions then are at the service of fraternity in our world. And he, he also raises, you know, the role of the church. Sometimes the people, the people want to relegate the church. Oh, there's separation of church and state. The, the framers of the Constitution, by the way, did, did, not, did not separate you know, in the, in the, that the separation of church and state was not about the church staying out of the state. It was about the state staying out of the church. And I think sometimes that's a challenge for people. But the, the church, in, with reflection on 2,000 years of human experience and respects the autonomy of political life, not trying to control political life, but doesn't restrict her mission to just, oh, just keep that in your church. No, the, the Catholicism recognizes that we have something to say about human society. Not only have something to say, but all baptized Catholics, as part of their work in the apostolate, are meant to go forth into daily life, wherever they may find themselves, and particularly even in the political sphere, to be able to bring about a more just society. So the different religions can contribute to fraternity. And then some people will reject this because they'll say, well, you know, religions have really created a, a, a lot of division at times. The reality is, though, that he sees that as a distortion, that, that, all the, uh, that religion is not a uh, particularly monotheistic religions, are, are not ones that, that are, are about uh, destroying fratern human fraternity, but instead building it up. And that seeking God helps us to see others as our brothers and sisters, created in the image and likeness of God. But also that there's a need for religious freedom and freedom of conscience. And he sees that being diminished in various parts of the world. That, that that's the way you could diminish, d diminish the, uh, the situation of human beings at times, is diminishing their religious freedom and their freedom of conscience. And as church, we're called to build bridges break down walls and sow seeds of reconciliation, to see as God sees, 
And therefore, there shouldn't be any violence that's based on religion, that, that somehow using religion as a justification for violence. That's, that's not, uh, not permitted and, and, and is a distortion, as he puts it, to religion. And so our focus on God grows respect for life, for dignity, and for freedom. Part of this comes uh, out of uh, an appeal that, that he and the Grand Iman uh, had did last year, an appeal for greater, greater human fraternity with one another. How do we see this? What are the possibilities? Because we are all brothers and sisters. We are all created in the image and likeness of God. So we have a, a couple of, of questions uh, thus far that we're going to take. And if you want more resources on Fratelli Tutti, just go to catholicapostolatecenter.org and you will see uh, on our, under our resources, our resource page uh, on the encyclical. And we hope that you take some time to, to look at that and to, uh, to come to know more deeply this encyclical. As I said, it is uh, just so full uh, of very specific uh, ways in which we can go about building human fraternity uh, and social, you know, this, this social love uh, and so and social friendship. So it's important for us to, to, uh, to take some time with it and, and use it as some spiritual reading. Maybe Advent's a good time for us to, to begin that conversation. So let's look at a, a couple, uh, couple questions that we have. You know, considering that we are in a post-fax world from both U.S. parties, uh, how can Catholics proclaim the truth of Christ to those who don't trust institutions like the Catholic Church? I think the important thing is the witness of, of Catholics themselves. How are Catholics going about witnessing? Unfortunately, I think at times on things like social media and so forth, we add to the polarization rather than to build up a uh, build up unity. Also, how are we serving? How do we show ourselves serving the poor? We as the Catholic Church, for example, in the United States, we are uh, the largest social service agency after the government. We care for people. We don't ask them, you know, what do you believe? How do you believe? We, we actually we act on this as the Good Samaritans. We go out and we do these things throughout the country, various parts of the country, with people who are, are most in need. And it really, I think it's in, in this uh, rekindling charity uh, that will also help people to understand ways in which we can go about building up rather than tearing down and creating more, uh, you know, proclaiming that truth, really not as with a lot of words, but with our deeds. Colleen asks, how do we form young Catholics in, in catechesis, Catholic schools, or uh, youth ministry to foster the social friendship that Pope Francis talks about in the encyclical? I think, again, it's the witness of, of the people because, you know, the young, younger people learn, you know, they're watching in all sorts of venues. They're watching. And, and what is it that we're witnessing? What are adults witnessing? And if adults are witnessing uh, division, polarization, a lack of dialogue, uh, a lack of love, uh, and, and witnessing God's love, uh, a lack of charity, uh, and a willingness to just tear down uh, because they, they believe they're right and that's it, or they're just simply selfish, or they pass to the other side. That's how they're going to learn or not learn what social, what good friendship can be. And so it requires then also accompaniment 
Uh, and we talk a great deal about this at Catholic Apostolate Center. Uh, there's, a, a, and we have many resources on accompaniment, including a book uh, that, uh, that Colleen wrote who's asking this question. But I think the important thing is, is that we, we have an opportunity uh, to, to do this, uh, to walk with our brothers and sisters and witness to them, particularly, again, by our deeds. And so Bridget asks, you know, can you comment on how Catholics with differing views may still have a good, healthy dialogue together to make the society more fruitful? How, uh, how can we better call the culture to better rather than uh, to the better rather than attack one another? And how is Pope Francis calling us this? So, you know, multiple pieces of this question. I, I think that a good dialogue begins uh, with uh, with recognizing it first and foremost that the other person is in the image and likeness of God and should be an object of our love. And if we will the the good of the other uh, as our our way of of showing love, that therefore we need to be in in uh, have a chance to be in dialogue with one another. But again, we have to watch and be careful that we're, we're not just simply coming up with majority consensus that will, uh, that, that will go away from fundamental truths. And the light of faith and the teachings of our church do assist us in coming to understand how to go about that. Pope Francis has a whole section related to that um, that is, imp is important to look at under consensus and truth. And, and how to go about that, that kind of, uh, of dialogue. But the first is, just like with the culture of encounter, or when he talks about accompaniment, it's simply being with the other. It, it's taking the time with the other. It's taking the time to get to know the other. There's a lot of stereotypes. And, uh, and these stereotypes can be used in, in ways, you know, people will, oh, well, so-and-so is connected with such-and-such, and therefore so-and-so believes this and that. Do we really know that? Or do we know a caricature uh, of the person? What, what the culture of encounter calls us to is to engage with the other in a way that sometimes uh, maybe may leave us somewhat uncomfortable, but that we come to know. Sometimes this happens when we might have uh, international experiences and we're in a culture that's different from our own. And we encounter that culture not... Uh, and, and learn from it in ways that we didn't expect. So how do we properly live and express the principles of Catholic social teaching in a formation setting, specifically areas of solidarity and subsidiarity? So these are technical terms. Uh, solidarity I've talked about, and that's the uniting with, with one another, recognizing that we're all one human family. Subsidiarity is that the things need to be cared for at the, the, the most local level, that you know, somebody that's distant from the situation making decisions about that situation it doesn't necessarily know the local context, and there's a need to know the local context. And so uh, expressing Catholic, you know, Catholic social teaching or uh, Catholic social doctrine in, in a, form, a formation setting means then, how is this lived? And I think experiences can really be helpful. This is where you know, sometimes, unfortunately, there's been this desire to do service for service sake, rather than helping people to contextualize and understand that what we are doing when we serve our brothers and sisters is not about our feeling good about ourselves, our kind of condescendingly look at the, looking at the other, but instead are uh, coming out of a body of teaching, a body of 
of our teaching as as Catholics uh, that is is rooted in life in Christ and the call to live uh, to to break help to break into this world the kingdom of God in in the way that the king when he returns as in, as in Matthew twenty five to be doing the things that we also call the corporal works of mercy, but also works of advocacy and justice as well as charity. All of these things, but people need to know why it is they're doing them, not just simply do them. Doing them and then also reflecting on them and saying, okay, here's where where we bring out some teachings and universal truths related to it. So I think we've covered all the questions at this point. Um, and I've been asked by our, uh, if, we, if I could uh, also talk a little bit about the connection with, uh, with the document, Living as Missionary Disciples or Missionary Discipleship and Fratelli Tutti and, and how these things complement one another. And uh, as, we, as we come to, to closer to a conclusion of this, I think it's important to, to recognize that in the Magisterium of Pope Francis, we're talking about how is it that we go forth? He's always, he wants a, a more missionary church, uh, a church that is going outward. A church is not just simply self-referential, focusing in on itself, but how do we go out? And Fratelli Tutti is, is really his way of saying, this is how we can go out. He, here's how we do this. Because I think people start to wonder, well, what, what does that mean? Well, we, we, it's, it's a, a way of encountering the world, and in that world we encounter Christ. It's not just simply that we're encountering Christ within the church confines. Yes, we encounter Christ there supremely in the Eucharist. But we encounter Christ in these, in these interactions with one another as we walk together, but not just walking together with like-minded people but instead going out and encountering the world and recognizing that our community, our community is not just simply a community of like-mindedness, but a community that is inclusive of the world and beyond our own faith community. And that we can be in dialogue with that in a way that is, uh, that is, that will build up rather than tear down. This is the way that we're called to be as, as Christians, as people of faith. Why would people believe if all they see among us are people who ignore the other, put down the other, even those who we say believe similarly? Now, what we're called to is greater understanding of the other, taking time to be present to the other, whoever that other is, to build a more just, peaceful, and loving world. Is it an ideal? Yes, it is. But we are called to be, all of us, brothers and sisters, in one human family and reflect God who is love. Thank you for joining in this webinar. Again, our resources are at catholicapostolatecenter.org.
May the charity of Christ urge us on. Thank you for listening to this podcast by the Catholic Apostolate Center. Please review and subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts to stay up to date on the latest content from the Center and go to catholicapostolatecenter.org for more resources.